the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Packing heat in the pew. Good Friday afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. A federal judge in Buffalo has barred New York from banning guns in church. Several churches sued claiming the gun restrictions enacted by the governor and state Democrats infringe on the Second Amendment. Pastor Jimmy Hardaway with Trinity Baptist Church in Niagara Falls supports the right to carry in church. It's not anything that's partisan or political. It's just what we want to do to make sure that we in our congregation feel safe. Erie County DA John Flynn admits gun-free zones at church do more to punish lawful gun owners than they do to crack down on gun violence. 99% of gun crime that I see in my desk involve users of illegal guns. The next hearing on the gun restrictions is set for November 3rd. President Biden in his home state of Delaware today trying to sell the American people on this idea of student debt relief. The speech comes after six states unsuccessfully sued to try and pull the plug on the $400 billion loan forgiveness program. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy thinks the debt cancellation plan is bad for the country. Under President Biden's policies, it's harder than ever to get ahead in our country, and it's easier than ever to do nothing. A new Monmouth University poll shows just three in ten Americans believe the president is paying attention to the issues they care about the most. With the midterms now just 18 days away, many Democratic candidates are keeping their distance from Mr. Biden in the closing days of this campaign. A reporter yesterday asked the president about that. There haven't been that many candidates campaigning with you. Why are more? That's not true. There have been 15. Count. Take count. Okay, and are there going to be even more? Yeah. The president campaigned yesterday for Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman. A CDC panel has endorsed adding COVID shots to the list of immunizations that children need to go to school. The recommendation does not mean the vaccine is mandatory yet. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he won't make it mandatory ever. As long as I'm kicking and screaming, uh, there will be no COVID shot mandates for your kids. That is your decision. Dr. Marty McCary at Johns Hopkins University. Right now, parents are asking where is the clinical data to support this vaccine in young, healthy children. 21 states currently ban COVID vaccine mandates in school. The CDC vaccine advisors voted 15 to nothing to add the shot to the school immunization schedule. The Pentagon says taxpayer money will be used to pay for service members and their spouses to travel to get abortions. The order is for members of the military based in states where abortion is illegal or restricted following the Supreme Court decision that overturns Roe. Two Connecticut cops killed in the line of duty being laid to rest today. It's a very tough day. You know, it's impossible to put into words. It's just horrific. I can't believe families have to go through this. The police officers were ambushed in Bristol on October 12th after being lured to a home following a 911 call. Ashley Strohmeyer with Fox News. So far this year, there have been 63 ambush-style attacks on police. 93 of them were shot, 24 of them fatally. That is according to the National Fraternal Order of Police. Joe Gamaldi is with the Fraternal Order of Police. For the better part of a decade, there has been a war on cops 
cops in this country. And we and our families have suffered the consequences. We're going to work every single day with targets on our back. People are hunting us in the streets. And this is not hyperbole. These are the facts. Tens of thousands in attendance at today's funeral there in Connecticut. Four months for Steve Bannon, the former Trump campaign manager, facing a judge today for defying a subpoena from the January 6th committee. Bannon was sentenced to four months for contempt. He spoke briefly to reporters. This illegitimate regime, their, their judgment day is on 8 November when the Biden administration ends. Texas Congressman Mike McCall says President Biden is playing politics by tapping into the strategic petroleum reserve. It's not the political petroleum reserve. It's really uh, developed uh, really for a time of war. He's playing politics with this uh, national security asset that we have. McCall says by failing to prioritize domestic energy production, the U.S. is looking weak to Russia and China. This week, President Biden announced he's dipping into our emergency stockpile of oil to drive down gas prices. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, promising to clean house if his offer to buy Twitter is approved. CNET's Ian Shure. It seems a foregone conclusion that no matter how this acquisition plays out, we are going to be dealing with a very different Twitter in the future. Musk must, or Musk may, I should say, lay off up to 75% of Twitter's workforce. He's offered $44 billion for the company. Some landscapers in the San Francisco area got a surprise when they found something buried in a homeowner's yard. Five feet into their dig, their shovels hit something. It was the roof of a car. Police in the town of Atherton believe it's been there since the 1990s. Cadaver dogs were brought in, but there were no signs of human remains. They did find bags of concrete in the car. The current homeowners say they had no idea it was there. The whole thing is curious to investigators who plan to spend some time looking into this. I'm Phil Hewlett. Curious indeed. Thank you, Phil. Still to come on the noon report, Zeldin's attacker released from custody. A Pennsylvania school district beefing up security and a bad bug making the rounds. It's called RSV. We'll take a closer look after this. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams with a sunny outlook heading into the start of the upcoming weekend. I'll have forecast details coming up in town. Okay, Kevin Williams, thank you very much. Let's check the stories making news where you live next. All across New York and Pennsylvania, it's all of a sudden a horse race in the race for governor of New York. Polls show Lee Zeldin closing in on Kathy Hochul in a state where Democrats outnumber Republicans by a two-to-one margin. Southern tier Congressman Joe Semple it's like uh, that scene in Jurassic Park where the Tyrannosaurus is closing in and it says objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Yeah. Uh, well, Lee Zeldin is the Tyrannosaurus. Sembolinski says Zeldin is gaining ground in Democratic strongholds like New York City. This uh, Quinnipiac poll, Lee is at in New York City. I believe in that poll they have him at 37%. He's above 35 in New York City. It's hard for him to lose. Zeldin and Governor Hochul will debate the issues next Tuesday night at Pace University. You can watch that debate on Spectrum News. The man who attacked Lee Zeldin at a campaign event near 
Rochester this summer will be released from jail and admitted into an alcohol treatment program. A federal judge making that ruling for David Jacobonis, the Army veteran charged at Zeldin on stage while he held a keychain with sharp points on it. Philadelphia's embattled district attorney Larry Krasner is facing ouster from office because of his soft on crime policies. State lawmakers have voted to hold him in contempt for refusing to testify about Philly's skyrocketing crime rate. Since Krasner took office in 2017, murders in Philadelphia are up 78%. Brian Yanis of Fox News, civil rights attorney Leo Terrell. This DA does not prosecute. Let's be very clear. He does not prosecute at all. His conviction integrity unit is nothing more than a get out of jail car for murderers. The DA facing an impeachment hearing in Harrisburg. Today he held a press event on the Capitol steps arguing the proceeding is a political witch hunt. A respiratory illness is making the rounds. It's called RSV and it showed up in dozens of states including New York and Pennsylvania. The majority of the children are coming in pretty sick. They're requiring uh, higher levels of oxygen. Doctors say the uptick in RSV may be the result of young children not being exposed to other viruses due to two years of COVID. A lot of kids just haven't seen RSV and then now they're seeing it for the first time all at once and it's leading to a big strain on our hospital resources. The respiratory virus is an amped up version of the common cold and the symptoms can last up to two weeks. We don't see this surge typically until December or January and sometime into February. This is going to be a rough winter season. In young children, RSV can be deadly, leading to wheezing and a refusal to eat. A school district in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania is wrapping up its security. The Pittston Area School District has added shotguns and high-powered rifles to its armory. Superintendent Kevin Booth. We purchased a four shotguns and four AR-15s for our school police officers, fully equipped them uh, in the case of a school shooting or some other terrible, horrific incident. School resource officer Tom Kelly says cops need to be able to fight fire with fire in the event of a school shooting. We're armed with a handgun, a pistol. Uh, so a pistol has its limitations, the number of ammunition, uh, the, um, the the distance that it could fire with uh, precision, uh, and that's where an AR-15 comes into play. Parents say it is scary that protecting students and teachers has come to this. As long as they're kept under under a lock and key, say, but accessible for when they need it. If, God forbid, if they ever do need it. The guns will be locked in a safe in all four Pittston schools, and that safe can only be opened with a fingerprint identification system. State and federal officials gathered in Albany yesterday to announce a new funding package that's intended to help grow New York's farming industry. We get that story from Family Life's Mark Webster. Yeah, the New York State Department of Agriculture is getting nearly $38 million from the federal government. Officials say the money will be used to enhance New York's food system by providing a boost to the state's farmers and increasing access to local food through the USDA's Local Food Purchase Assistance Program, which is aimed at expanding access to healthy, locally sourced foods while creating new markets to bolster farm business. It should also strengthen farm-to-school programs. Mark Webster. Family Life News. Thank you kindly, Mark. A whole new experience is coming to Western Pennsylvania this weekend. Family Life's Brian Quarry has those tasty details. Many of us find it hard to turn down sugary dough and deep-fried treats. Well, this weekend, you donut have to. As Donut Fest, the longest-running celebration of donuts in the world, makes its way to Western Pennsylvania for the first time. Being held in Pittsburgh on Saturday, 
Donut Fest will feature baked goods from nearly a dozen local bakeries that will face off for the title of Best Donut in Pittsburgh. In keeping with Donut Fest's ultimate goal, a portion of the proceeds will benefit the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. In the 10 years it has existed, Donut Fest has raised over $40,000 for local charity partners. The event has been so popular that tickets have reportedly been sold out for weeks. Well, if you didn't get one, don't be jelly of those that did. There's always next year. Brian Query, Family Life News. Love those donuts. Thank you, Brian. Something else I love is sports, and we've got that next. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, we begin in Houston where the Astros have held serve and won both of their home games against the Yankees. Last night, Alex Bredman provided all Houston's offense hitting a three-run shot in the third inning. The Yankees could only manage two runs and now find themselves down two games to nothing, heading back to New York for game three tomorrow. It was a wild one in Arizona last night as the Cardinals held on to beat the Saints 42-34 in the Thursday night football matchup. Cardinals defense had two pick sixes in a span of two minutes right before halftime and those two defensive touchdowns went a long way in deciding the game for the Cardinals. On the hardwood, Wesley Matthews knocked down the go-ahead three-pointer with 23 seconds left and Milwaukee edged Philadelphia 90-88. James Harden finished with 31 points but missed the jumper at the buzzer that would have given the Sixers the win. The only other NBA game saw the Clippers beat the Lakers 103-97. On the ice, Alex Tuck recorded his first career hat trick and the Sabres handed Calgary their first loss of the season 6-3. Rasmus Dahlin scored for the fourth straight game, setting a record for a defenseman to open the season. And Flames coach Darryl Suter said of Dahlin, he was probably the best player on the ice. San Jose got their first win of the season thanks to an overtime goal from Eric Carlson. The Sharks beat the Rangers 3-2. Islanders also lost their game 4-1 to New Jersey. In Pittsburgh, the Penguins rolled over the Kings. Pittsburgh racing out to a 3-0 first period lead and never looked back. 6-1 your final. Boston, Columbus, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Minnesota, Edmonton, and Vegas, your other winners. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Man, have a wonderful weekend. Still to come on the Noon Report, how pastors handle politics from the pulpit. So close to Election Day. We're going to talk about it on Capital Connection. Kevin Williams calling for summer like warmth this weekend. And at the end of the broadcast, a missing dog in the southern tier has been found more than a year later. Brandon Dixon has that amazing tale coming up. I think the church should stay in its lane, but that lane is as big as the world itself. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. This is Breakpoint. Recently, a denominational leader said to me that the best thing the church could do to handle the challenges of this cultural moment would be to, quote, stay in its lane. After all, the so-called culture wars have been grueling, he said, and the church is primarily called to spread the gospel. Now, I think I know what he meant. There's certainly truth to the idea that Christians often overemphasize politics. However, telling the church to just stay in our lane and out of politics is an equally unhelpful answer. 
First, the stay-in-your-lane mandate is typically only applied to the unpopular issues, you know, like abortion, marriage and family, religious freedom. No one ever tells the church to stay in its lane and not fight against sex trafficking or to no longer dig wells for communities without fresh water or to cease sustainable economic development in impoverished nations. Historically, the church's shining moments, in fact, have come often in direct conflict with dominant cultural belief or practice. The Roman world, for example, needed Christians to take in abandoned children and oppose those gladiatorial games precisely because of all the pressure they faced to conform. When we engage with culturally acceptable causes, but we stay in our lane on the unpopular ones, we're not only failing the test of courage, but also the test of integrity. We're exposed as a church that loves the approval of our neighbors more than we love them, and that we want to fill pews more than practice what's good and true. Also, every law and state action reflects a worldview and are based on consequential assumptions about human value, the nature and purpose of sex, what and how children should be raised, the scope of the state, and a million other things. The question is never whether politics will operate from worldview assumptions, but which worldview it will operate from. Systems that value work, protect human life, and allow for dissenting voices instead of silencing voices, they will always be superior to those systems that don't. Therefore, Christians should engage the political lane as a way to love God and to love our neighbor. However, the biggest issue with this whole stay-in-your-lane approach to the church is the question of what exactly the Christian lane is in the first place. Dutch statesman and theologian Abraham Kuyper put it best, I think, when he said, quote, There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, Mine. In other words, because the head of the church is Christ, and Christ is Lord of everything, Christ's lane is the entire cosmos. The scriptures are crystal clear on this. Colossians 1 states that Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and that God was pleased through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What this means is that it all belongs to him. So Christian musicians should make music as if God's sitting next to them on the piano bench. Christian bakers should make sourdough as if God's going to have a slice. Christian citizens of a democratic republic should strive with humility and wisdom to influence and to govern and to live together as if Christ is Lord over all of it, because he is. We contend for the well-being of our neighbors, even when it's unpopular. The question isn't whether Christians should engage politically, but whether we will do it well. So Christian, definitely stay in your lane. Do the good works which God has ordained for us to do from the foundation of the world. Just know that our lane encompasses every conceivable aspect of human existence. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. We've got a humdinger of a weekend weather-wise. Kevin Williams next. Good afternoon. Here is your family life weather forecast. Our call for this afternoon. Ample sunshine, milder than of late. High temperatures nudging 60. For tonight, clear, calm, and for many, not as chilly as it was last night. Low temperatures, mid-30s to the low 40s. It's a beauty tomorrow. Golden sunshine and warm. Highs in the mid-60s and near 70. And on Sunday, ample sunshine in western New York and northwest Pennsylvania. Partly sunny elsewhere with high temperatures in the 60s to near 70. All right, we'll take it. Thank you very much, Kevin Williams. It is Friday, the 21st of October. I'm your host, Bob Price, and you're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life.
Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the noon report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues. At the state capitals, they are, as always, Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Michael, we'll begin with you this week. Politico has the Oz Fetterman Senate contest within two points now within the margin of error. Hard to get any closer than that. Of course, that big debate is coming up on Tuesday night, and uh, it has taken on added significance given the health concerns of John Fetterman. How much do you think that hour-long exchange will move the needle this late in the contest? Well, I think it has a chance to. I mean, I think the tightening of the race has to do with the NBC News uh, story that came out last week with the interview with John Fetterman where he needed an electronic assistance, a, a closed captioning type of device to even understand the questions he was being asked. So people will be wondering how John Fetterman will perform in the debate in that situation where he has to answer questions on the fly. Now, next Tuesday night, Jason, is also the one and only uh, debate between Governor Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin. And I'm telling you, man, this race is tightening up by the day as well. Uh, the polls are all over the map on this contest. You know, Quinnipiac has Hochul up for Siena has Hochul up 11. Maris has something different. How come there's such a difference between the polls this late in the game? I think it's extremely difficult to get accurate polling anymore. Uh, people have moved to cell phones. There is a reticence to answer questions. Some of the difference that you're seeing in the polls is that the polls weight the state differently. Perhaps they're anticipating uh, maybe there'll be more from New York City or perhaps more from the suburbs coming out. So the polls are almost meaningless at this point. It's going to come down to turnout. If people would like to see something different in this state that we currently have, then they just need to turn out and vote on Tuesday, November 8th or participate in early voting. One quick follow-up. The Quinnipiac poll, when they asked voters their biggest concern, it wasn't the economy, it was crime. Does that surprise you? It doesn't. It's been something that we are seeing across the state. I think it's become a very real thing for many people. They're seeing it not just in large cities, but uh, there's been increased crime in even rural counties and places that people are responding to. It's certainly driving where they're at. And frankly, the gun control legislation that uh, Governor Hochul pushed for in special session is only restricting lawful gun owners. And I think that's going to have an impact on uh, what people think when they go to vote in November. I know you're part of that litigation as well. And there's litigation in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania regarding these mail-in ballots, the undated ones. Secretary of State says, we don't care what the Supreme Court says, we're still going to count them, Michael. This is so huge because the importance, as Jason alluded to, the importance of early voting, that's such a factor now into who may control Congress next year. Are we right to assume then that the ballots that are not properly dated are going to count in all 67 Pennsylvania counties? Well, that's what the, the Secretary of State, the acting Secretary of State here in Pennsylvania says, in spite of that uh, U.S. Supreme Court ruling that threw out the undated ballots in a Lehigh County race. The law is pretty clear. You don't count those ballots. So it raises questions about uh, you know how this election is going to go, but uh, we are continuing to encourage people to turn out and vote just as Jason did. Yeah. Uh, abortion or inflation, what will drive voters to the polls more? Uh, Jason and, and a lot of Democrats are betting on abortion. Governor Hochul invoking the almighty uh, when it comes to this debate. And Church of all places, church in Buffalo suggesting that God is on the side. 
side of the pro-choice movement. Vice President Harris made similar comments trying to justify abortion and using scripture to back it up. You're a pastor as well as a pundit, Jason. How ambiguous is scripture when it comes to the abortion issue? I don't think the scripture is ambiguous. I think it's very clear that life begins in the womb. In fact, I believe it begins the moment of conception. You have this occurrence where you see politicians now wrapping pro-abortion language in religious terms. It is showing how important it is that Christians turn out and vote. Uh, Speaking of the pro-life debate, Michael, there was another case of the FBI, the Department of Justice, charging a pro-lifer in your state. This guy kind of interesting, an atheist leftist, as far left on the political spectrum you can get, but fervently pro-life, now facing charges in Pittsburgh. Uh, This is not the first time we've seen this movie, Michael. We all remember the Christian dad arrested in the Philly suburbs. What's going on here in Pennsylvania? Well, it's not just Pennsylvania, it's national, but it's, uh, you know, now a second uh, situation with this Herb Garrity from uh, a group called Rehumanize International. He's an atheist and very leftist person, but very pro-life. And Herb has been uh, contacted by the Department of Justice impending arrest charges being filed related to a pro-life sit-in at a clinic in Washington, D.C., an abortion facility. This is just uh, going after those who stand for the pro-life movement. It's a persecution of political opponents by the Biden Department of Justice. Quick follow-up. Is this an abuse of the FACE Act, which has been around for a long time, but is seldom used, the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act? It absolutely is an abuse of, of that, and that laws from back in 1994 seldom used, but now is being pulled out as a weapon against political opponents here in uh, in 2022 by the Biden administration. Jason, we mentioned that Quinnipiac poll when asked what the top concern of New York voters was, they said crime. And on your website this week, you're making the argument that the shooting death this summer of this Rochester police officer, which made national news, can be directly blamed on New York's legalization of marijuana. Connect those dots, if you would. Yeah, what happened in New York is uh, in their haste to move pro-marijuana legislation, the state of New York actually legalized the use and possession of marijuana, but there's no market that yet exists to legally sell it. That allowed gangs to come into places like Rochester, where you have the Bloods and the Crips that have now moved into the city of Rochester. They're fighting over a turf war over $180,000 a month in marijuana sales. The city smells like weed, and now we're seeing deaths on the streets related to weed. It is the state policy that has led to not only the death of this officer, Mazurkowitz, but also multiple other deaths in that city. It is a result of bad policies that can be rejected on November 8th. Well, on a lighter note, Michael, this is a big weekend for you. Your yearly Friends of the Family Banquet is coming up shortly in Hershey, and you have got a heavy hitter on deck this week. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, a guy that many people predict may decide to run for president. Who knows? Still a ways off. But for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with what this is, um, I've had the privilege to attend that banquet several times. Uh, Why do you put this on every year? Basically, it's uh, for twofold reason. One, to introduce folks who have not 
heard about the work of the Pennsylvania Family Institute or don't know much about it, to give them a, a sense of what supporting and partnering with our organization can accomplish in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania for religious liberty, sanctity of life, marriage and family, and school choice. And then for those who do support us, it's an opportunity for us to say thanks to them. So we got almost 1,400 folks coming, and we're excited about it and looking forward to uh, this Saturday. And Jason, you know, we mentioned your pastor in October is Pastor Appreciation Month. It's kind of sad you only get one month. Church leaders are under so much pressure these days, whether it's COVID or whatever. Church has done so much differently because of a lot of things, and I'm sure all this politics isn't helping and trying to stay above the fray at church. So tough to do. What's your advice to pastors? Because I know a lot of them probably are struggling right now. How to navigate this tumultuous election season while being salt and light in a post-Christian world? Well, you know, I think when pastors stick to what the scripture speaks and addresses the issues from a biblical perspective, I think it's hard for people to be able to push back against those pastors. The pastor could just look to God's word. That's ultimately what he is responsible for doing anyways. So when it comes to the sanctity of human life or parental rights or marriage, uh, human sexuality, those are things the Bible speaks very clearly towards. And those are not political issues. They're moral issues. They're what God's word speaks to. And frankly, if people are going to have a problem with the biblical perspective on those issues, well, maybe that church isn't the right fit for them anyways, in the sense that they're not really abiding by what the scripture teaches. The pastor is faithful to proclaim God's word. If he can go from that position and he is before an audience of one, doesn't have to worry about all the others that may be criticizing his particular preaching on those topics. All right. And all the congregation said, amen. Hey guys, we are less than three weeks to go and you have voter guides out where folks can learn more about where the candidates stand on the issues. Be an informed voter this election year. Michael, where can folks find more about the voter guides in your state? PAFamily.org. And in New York State, Jason? AlbanyUpdate.com. Keeping us in the know each and every week. The show is Capital Connection. It comes your way Fridays during the noon report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. The November-like weather pattern that has prevailed this week is changing now thanks to an expected flip in the jet stream. This flip will now allow our air, instead of coming in from Canada, to come in from the south. That spells rising temperatures and, for now at least, a good deal of sunshine. Our call for this afternoon, ample sunshine, milder than of late, high temperatures nudging 60. For tonight, clear, calm, and for many, not as chilly as it was last night, low temperatures mid-30s to the low 40s. It's a beauty tomorrow, golden sunshine and warm, highs in the mid-60s and near Sabonday. And on Sunday, ample sunshine in western New York and northwest Pennsylvania, partly sunny elsewhere with high temperatures in the 60s to near Sabonday. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. And finally, at noon today, what once was lost has now been found in New York southern tier. We're talking about Brutus, the 11-year-old Great Pyrenees. Family Life's Brandon Dixon has this amazing tale. Brutus, the deer-sized dog, went missing over a year ago from his home in Woodall. 14 months later, he's been found in Allegheny County. Owners Dan and Susie Clark say Brutus blew through a fence last July after being frightened by fireworks at their alpaca farm. They spread the word about their missing dog on social media, and last month, a good Samaritan spotted Brutus in the town of Angelica. 
more than 40 miles away. The dog was malnourished and infected with fleas when it was turned over to the Hornell Humane Society. That's where the Clarks were eventually reunited with their beloved Brutus. They say the power of social media is what got him home. Brandon Dixon, Family Life News. And there is no place like home. Thank you very much, Brandon, and good luck, Brutus. That's the world we live in Friday, the 21st of October. Make sure you get out there and enjoy some of that sunshine this weekend. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.